0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time you are tuning in. Welcome to Homesteading and Gardening in the Suburbs. I'm Emma from Mystic Gardening, and the weather and seasons are finally changing. We've actually got some high winds here in Maine and a frost advisory until Monday. So, whilst we're pulling out the last of the potatoes, We're harvesting some green tomatoes to ripen indoors, and we're letting the pole beans dry out for seeds. Even though things seem to be coming to an end in the garden, it's actually a season where there's a lot of things that are going on. There's lots of things that people are harvesting right now, like apples and pears are in season, but also the squashes and lots and lots of brassicas and cabbages and those kind of plants. Um, are all riper about this time and you know this is also a busy season for things like seed saving right collecting seeds to be able to grow for next year and I'm very much a um, a fond gardener who grows seed to seed right starting from a seed nursing that plant all the way through and then harvesting seeds to grow the following year and kind of keeping that cycle going Here on the homestead um, I've been a little bit sidetracked by windfall pears and apple harvests and uh, the possibility of building a homestead cider press, so my dream of having hard cider and peri for winter might not be a dream if I can convince my husband to build a cider press Um, and we've been looking at a lot of designs recently so Maybe, maybe that'll happen, maybe not. Um, but in the garden, um, garlic is usually planted around October through to November for most places and I know that you might be sick of hearing me reminding you about ordering and planting garlic. Um, it is a great vegetable to grow in the garden and you'll be surprised at how different the flavours of different varieties are and it's pretty straightforward to grow. Um, if you're new to homesteading and gardening in the suburbs then to grow garlic you basically open up the clove um or the bulb sorry for the cloves and you want to keep that papery wrapper on the cloves and you plant the cloves in the in the ground um plant them about an inch down you want the pointy end pointing up to the sky and the flat base uh pointing downwards into the soil and then you just cover those cloves up, cover it with some mulch and leave it be and come spring those shoots will start to grow and um, garlic is relatively straightforward to grow. Um, Some people do find it difficult to grow, other people find it easy to grow, but that could be said with any vegetable. Some people find them very easy to grow, other people find them very difficult to grow. Carrots, for example. Carrots have um, been a struggle and a success, it really depends (laughs) for me, Um, but not everything grows well for everybody and sometimes, I mean garlic the first year um, here, I tried planting it in spring Um, and normally I I don't spring plant my garlic but I know people um, who are in Texas who spring plant their garlic and it works great for them. Um, I tried doing it up here to see if I could get a harvest even if it was just a small one but also I like to have garlic growing because it helps to deter a lot of pests and something ate my garlic and I have no idea what it was. It was probably rodent um that ate the garlic but garlic's usually one of those like tried and true you know, things to help um, deter pests, so I was a little perturbed um, that my garlic didn't grow this year. But I've got some ordered and it is on the way, so garlic is going to be the first things that I'm planting in my no-dig garden beds that I've been working on, so I'm very excited for those to be arriving. Um, but there's a few other things that we can be planting and a few other bits and pieces that we can be doing um, in the fall season um in our gardens to help us for next year. And one of the things is bare root strawberries. And those can be picked up. You can get bundles of them, like 50 bare root strawberry plants, quite, you know, reasonably. Um, I don't know if you would ever want 50 bare root strawberry plants, but you might. Um, you might get really creative in growing them in hanging baskets and other containers as well. I know I did when I inadvertently ordered a lot of bare root strawberries Um, but you can be planting those in a sunny growing space in your garden about now Um, but if you even if you have an old patch of strawberries you might want to think about refreshing them because strawberries are kind of like a a semi-perennial type of plant generally after about three years the strawberry production starts to go down on your plants so a lot of people end up pulling out those strawberry plants, composting them, and then putting new strawberries in, in a different location, um, or even in the same location for some people. So if you're planting new um, bare root strawberry plants, or you've picked up some super cheap ones from the garden center or nursery, then you want to be adding some organic matter into that soil. And um, by organic matter, I mean well-rotted or aged compost, or well-rotted manure, if you're using it. Um, You might be wondering how much to add though because you can add too much especially when it comes to manure. Um, I always like to be more cautious if I'm using that and add a little bit. I can always add a little bit more a bit later um, if I'm thinking that it, it needs it but most of the time I mean I tend to use compost and that's that's the majority of what I have is compost. If I do use manure I have it separate and I compost it separately um, because I will add it to my garden beds in fall, not in spring. Um, But if I'm going to be using compost, I would add about three or four heaped shovelfuls. Um, And if I had well-rotted manure, I would add about two shovelfuls in the average garden bed. So let's say it's about three foot by five foot long. Um, You'll start to get a feel for how much of compost or manure to add to your garden as you gain experience and grow each season. Some of the areas of your garden might need more, others might need less. And you'll often see, especially if you read like gardening magazines or gardening blogs, especially ones that are are done in the UK, it'll be pretty vague in terms of like, you know, work in some well-rotted organic matter or something like that and it's it's really because it depends you know some gardens need a lot more compost and things particularly if you've got very sandy soil um they seem to want a lot more compost to you know help establish that soil structure um others don't want as much because they're already very fertile and you'll start to see that as your garden grows and you're working in your garden you'll start to see these changes in terms of like how much um fertility and things you want to be adding um but also like how much seems to help you get better crops so when I lived in Utah I would add in four shovelfuls of compost for each garden bed that I had and I would do that in fall and then come spring I would be adding another couple of shovelfuls about probably about two shovelfuls and if it was where I was growing tomatoes it did not have to be like you know super well rotted Um, compost. It was kind of partially rotted compost that I would add onto those beds because it would be breaking down as those tomatoes were growing and kind of keep feeding them. And they were, they were super happy when I, when I did that. (laughs) They, they quite liked the, the trashy compost, I called it. Um, But, you know, I had other areas of the garden, like the test bed area where I just, added compost and I spread leaves like four leaves on that every year for a couple of years and it just turned from this like sandy mess into this beautiful like loamy soil that just I mean it grew really really well um unfortunately we left after <laughs> just as I've gotten the soil to where I wanted it to be we ended up moving um but you know we can do the the same thing here you know working in different amounts of compost until we build up that soil structure that we're looking for and that's part of the reason for me having these no dig garden beds number one because the pasture just like overtook everything incredibly fast Um, my neighbor and I took a walk through the garden the other day and she was like I can't even see where you're garden beds were and and it was because the pasture took everything back so quickly um so that that was kind of one of the bigger reasons why but also the soil here is very sandy um, and there's a lot of boulders and yes I had very sandy and lots of boulders where I was in Utah and that was why I had raised beds um but here the the soil's not as alkaline as it was in Utah like the soil was very high pH in, in Utah, um, so having a raised bed kind of helped me to combat some of that and grow crops a lot better. I don't have that problem where I am in Maine. I actually have quite low pH because um, things like blueberries, which like acidic soils, grow very well. And there's a lot of pine trees and things where where I am. I've got very mixed hardwoods on the land. Um, so you know, just kind of getting an understanding of what is growing and where things grow in your local area can help you get a better understanding of your soil um but the more that you are in your garden and you are working with your garden the more that you kind of see like oh I need to add a little bit more like I would side dress a lot of my plants with compost um when I first started growing particularly with heirlooms because they needed a bit more love and attention um so I would side dress a lot of things but also the type of irrigation system that I had meant that things, you know, needed um, protecting a lot from that overhead watering and kind of splashing up. Um, I'm going to be seeing really what this no-dig garden bed is going to be requiring in terms of compost um, and you know, if I decide to use manure when we start getting um, animals, we'll, we'll see. Um, but have have some good notes, um, you know, write down things in your garden journal. Like if you're planting out your strawberries, you know, that you added, you know, three heap shovelfuls of compost. And then kind of see how things are growing in spring. If it looks like they need a little bit more pep in their step, you know, add a couple more um, shovelfuls of compost. You know, you're not going to necessarily hurt your garden by adding more compost, especially if you just put it on the top and use it as a mulch. Where you can come into some trouble is with the manure um, because of the amount of nitrogen that's in there. So, you never want to be putting like fresh manure on your garden anyway. You always want to have it composted, and a lot of people compost manure for at least a year before it comes anywhere near their garden bed which helps reduce the risk of pathogens and things being transferred into the soil anyway Um, but you know I've done a few podcast episodes about using manure and composting and you can definitely check those out but also make sure to check out some other resources that you have available like I'm I'm a real big fan of the local extension offices um here in America for you know the states um they have a different extension office and there's a lot of them that have a lot of information um about you know gardening there's lots and lots of stuff about gardening most states have a master gardeners program and um, a lot of them will have like either a phone number that you can call or you can email them with with your questions some states will email you back um with their answer and others they tend to post them online so other gardeners can benefit from your questions so definitely use that as a resource and you know obviously there's always your local library and grabbing a gardening book or two um that's always fun to kind of read through but certainly if you're reading like older books on um gardening a lot of them you know propone the the use of manure um, in the garden and I know a lot of people don't want to use it in their garden for you know a myriad of reasons so I always like to give out both options but here in my homestead I'm using only compost because that's that's all I have is just just straight up compost but I know farmers who use um, manure locally um, so it really depends and I'm you know use use what you have but use what you have and be informed about um, which one is going to work best for you and some of the watch outs that you'll need anyway I digress so we 've gone from strawberries to using manure and now we 're going to go to growing asparagus because asparagus can be planted now um, i've actually got some seed of of asparagus that I'm really excited to sow and try growing. Um I've just got to find them after I've got totes and totes of seeds because we're actually going to be going through everything. Um we've got an inventory that's going on but you know we're we're kind of low on a lot of um the seeds and the varieties that we we like. Uh, A lot of things didn't grow this year and we sowed out a lot of stuff. um, But we've actually found that Um, a lot of our seeds have degraded, Um, so we actually are going to need to do a a big old seed shop, which I'm very sad about needing to do that, because I I didn't want to, Um, but the the good thing is, after us going through, and having done this inventory, you know, I found seeds that, you know, I didn't even realize that I had, they were in a, you know, an an old biscuit tin uh, (laughs) that I had from The UK that I'd started, you know, seeds in. The the seeds weren't from the UK. These ones were um, Seed Savers Exchange um, from here in the US. But asparagus is like one of those like long-term crops. So if you plant it, um, you need to know that you're not going to be able to harvest it for a couple of years, um, at least three years usually, for it to get um, established in the garden we've got random asparagus plants growing all over the backyard. Um, and we keep finding more. So as we begin to like clear the land, we're finding more and more asparagus (laughs) popping up everywhere. Um, it's been great, like we love fresh asparagus straight out the garden like my husband will just pick it and then start eating it as we're walking around the garden um but you know like I said it takes at least three years for a patch to be established and asparagus that is planted in fall particularly ones from one year old crowns or one year old roots you might see it being sold as a bare root um, asparagus plant or Um, an asparagus crown depending on where you're you're looking Um, but if you plant it in autumn they tend to establish faster and the effort that you put in now is going to help put your plants in the best place for many many years to come because asparagus is one of those plants that can be producing a crop every spring for decades to come that's why I like to take time in putting things that are perennials so not just like fruit trees and fruit bushes and stuff like that but plants like asparagus or other perennials like I want to make sure that I put them in the right place because once I put them in you know they're gonna be producing for many many years to come and I want to make sure that they're in the best place for the plant but also the best place for you know me and my garden too like I I don't want to be putting you know the asparagus in the middle of you know the main thoroughfare um where everybody rides the tractor through because that's where it's growing right now which is not ideal (laughs) Um, so you know we want to move it to somewhere where it's going to grow very um very well so Drainage is important when it comes to asparagus. Um, ironically, because a lot of people kind of think that it does very well in overly waterlogged soil because it's often found, you know, around streams and things. Um, but actually, it does a lot better if you have good drainage. So if you have a lot of clay in your soil, you have, you know, typically a lot of waterlogged soil. You want to be mixing like half and half mixture of topsoil and coarse sand into the garden bed where you're going to be growing your asparagus, and to do that you can dig it over, I like to use a garden fork, so I'll mix it in, you know, dig over the the soil and then mix in this topsoil and coarse sand, Um, and you can also use the opportunity to mix in some compost or well-rotted manure if you want to in that garden bed. Now, When it comes to planting your asparagus roots, known as crowns, um, you're going to be needing to dig a trench. And you want to dig a trench that's about a foot deep and two foot wide. And at the bottom of that trench, so you want to dig out the soil, so dig out the soil, dig a nice trench, right? Um, Then you want to put back in some of the soil at the bottom and you want to make a little ridge. And that ridge wants to be roughly six inches high, doesn't, doesn't have to be exact, right, I am not expecting you to be like whipping out your tape measure and measuring like the the ridge, right, and making sure that's six inches high, it's just a rough guide, right, really what's important is you want the, the long roots of your crowns to kind of dangle over the ridge, because when you get your asparagus roots, you'll notice there's like a a bit at the top like a circular bit at the top where all those roots are and that's that's your crown and then you've got all these long dangly spidery roots um that sort of dangle down and those you want to dangle down you know into the you know over the ridge and into the trench but that crown wants to be kind of a little higher because that's where your um asparagus spears and things are going to be coming from but you want to give them plenty of room for more roots and more spears and things to be growing as those plants mature so you want to be putting those crowns about a foot apart and I know that seems like a really big amount of space especially in the beginning when you're only getting like you know one asparagus spear coming up maybe if you're lucky in the first spring right but over time you're gonna start to get more and more and more we've got an asparagus patch that was over by um like the little shed there was like a a lean-to shed that was down in the garden I guess they used to do some stuff with um scouts or like the kids would be camping out out there and that's like now where our garden is um although we also discovered it's where the groundhog lives um but there's a a very well established asparagus patch that is right there and i have no intention of moving that one because it is so well established and it produces some massive massive asparagus um you know, spears. So I definitely don't want to touch that. But when it comes to, you know, intentionally planting one, then, you know, I definitely want to use that opportunity to give them the space that they're going to, to need in the years to come. So once you've placed your asparagus crowns, so you've got the the actual crown bit at the top of the ridge, you've got the roots dangling over each side of the ridge and they're nicely spaced out. Then you want to backfill that trench with the soil and then cover it with mulch and just water it in and leave it be. Um, If you get asparagus spears that are coming up in spring, do not harvest them. I know it's so tempting because fresh asparagus is amazing, but hold off harvesting for two years. I know, I know, that's, that's like the worst thing I could be telling you, right? It's like, oh, I've got to wait even longer. But if you do, your plants are going to be fully established and they're going to be producing like year on year, bigger harvests for the next 20 years or even more. So it is worth holding out for that bigger harvest, you know, coming. And if you're planting from seed, you want to be waiting three years before you start harvesting. So if you're planting out the crowns, they're typically a year old. So the, the asparagus crowns are usually a year old that you're going to get all the bare root Asparagus plants are about a year old. Um, so you can wait two years before starting to harvest. If you're going from seed, you want to be waiting three years before you start to harvest. So just a top tip there. Um, but asparagus is wonderful. And it, you know it's incredibly expensive to be buying in the store. Um, and, you know, once you have fresh asparagus out of your garden, like, you'll, I mean, it kind of ruins the stuff that you buy, even the fresh, like, first flush of asparagus that you get. We did a, we did a side-by-side asparagus taste test, I'm sad to say. Um, so I had some, like, fresh stuff that we'd bought out of the store and, Um, or the farmer's market or something. It it was, it was kind of local stuff that we'd, we would got. And then we had stuff that we picked fresh out of the garden. And, you know, my husband went off into the other room and was chilling and watching TV and I cooked them the same. So I just did them with a little salt and olive oil. Just, just did them up in, in the, um, cast iron skillet. And, but I split them up. So they were on two plates and I had him try, you know, one from each of them and it was immediate the difference between them because the ones out of the garden were sweet and delicious whereas the ones from the store lost all of that sweetness so I know everybody always says like homegrown veg tastes the best and I think a lot of it is just because you're eating it fast as well so it's fresh out of the garden and it's not losing a lot of those natural sugars that are within the plant so it really was delicious. Um, so anyway, I digress from um, asparagus. I need to, ooh, oh, now I'm hungry for asparagus. <laughs> like asparagus for breakfast and a boiled egg rather than soldiers. Oh, that's so good. Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's a seasonal treat is that one. Um, in mild areas where winter isn't covered in a bunch of snow, um, one of my favorite plants is actually a perennial. And it happily grows without a lot of inter- intervention, and brings hummingbirds in for its bright red flowers. And you might be thinking, what on earth is your favorite plant? Um, and actually, runner beans are one of my favorites. And um, I had a lot of a lot of runner beans growing up as a kid, and I never thought like beans would be right up there with my favorite plants, but they are. And I absolutely adore beans, and runner beans are definitely one of my favorites. And you can overwinter them in zone eight for sure. Um, maybe zone 7 and zone 6 if you are lucky. So overwintering is where you protect the plant from the cooler temperatures and then let it grow again. And to do this, there's a couple of ways you can do this. So you can cut back your runner beans, leaving stems about 2 inches tall above the soil level, and then pile on mulches like fall leaves and straw, and then kind of cover and secure clear plastic over the mulch and beans to help keep it dry. And then you want to keep an eye out for slugs. On your new shoots and keep that frost protection on, so keep that um, plastic in place until after the risk of frost has passed. Um, If you're in a cooler area, you can try lifting the roots of your runner beans at the end of the season. So, you want to cut back the stems to two inches tall, just like you would if you were leaving them in place, Um, but you want to be lifting those roots out. So, you want to get a garden fork in there and then pull up those runner bean roots, and then you wanna put them in a pot or a container with some damp compost. Damp like a wrung out sponge, not soaking wet compost, because if things are overly wet, then you're gonna promote them to rot rather than Kind of just kind of sit dormantly, which is what we're looking for. And then you want to keep that pot or container in the greenhouse or or in a shed. Um, watch out for rodents nibbling the green shoots that start to appear in spring. Um, but once the risk of frost has passed, you can plant out your runner beans. And this overwintering trick works for a lot of different plants. Um, hot peppers and sweet peppers do well being overwintered and then replanted. The delicate dahlia flower tubers are often one that is lifted out of the ground um, and then stored and then you replant them in spring geraniums you can dig up geraniums and then overwinter them in the greenhouse even rosemary Um, peppers don't get pruned back to two inches of stem um and you know geraniums don't either even rosemary so do a little bit of research on overwintering some of these different um plants and see what you know, you might want to try in your garden. Um, Rosemary we would bring inside into the house because we use rosemary a lot in cooking. Um, Peppers, I mean, peppers you can give them a bit of a pruning if the deer haven't done it for you like they have for me. Um, I'm honestly, I'm really, really tempted to be digging out all of the pepper plants that I have, like the sweet peppers, because I didn't get any sweet peppers at all this year because the deer just kind of kept coming along and pruning it all. Um, so I'm really tempted to put them all into containers and then try and find a home for them somewhere in the house um, to overwinter them and then you know, plant them out outside in spring. And actually having um, overwintered some of these warmer weather plants gives you an advantage in spring in that you're transplanting bigger and more established plants so you're going to start to see those flowers and fruits appear much sooner um and actually growing flowers herbs and peppers in containers makes overwintering them even easier because you can just pick up the container and move it into the greenhouse or even indoors and then bring it back outside again later um so there's there's some good advantages to growing things in containers especially if you're in a short season area but I would love to hear from you what are you planting or what are you looking to overwinter in your garden this year let me know over in the Facebook group and until next time I hope your garden grows beautifully and I'll see you next week